0: Welcome to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa, a podcast about people and places and the food, faith and family that have shaped them. My guests on this podcast can be found in all sorts of wonderful places, in concert halls and kitchens, on the stage, in the sports arena or on your TV or cinema screens. All of them have roots all over the globe, but in this podcast, we ask what for them counts as home. And we explore this by asking them about four key elements, which are a person, a place, a phrase, and a plate. For me, one of them would definitely be my grandmother's home in Lagos, Nigeria. It's the house that my mum actually grew up in. It's kind of on this compound. I have such vivid memories as a kid, chest freezer with ice lollies in it, a kind of crab apple tree in the garden it's the one place that when i go back to lagos i go back to that family ancestral seat almost and like that is the one that feels most like home to me so that is my one but i'm really looking forward to hearing what today's guest comes up with
1: it takes three months to film masterchef Mm. trying to give them that energy that excitement you know how can i film something about my industry, knowing that my team need that help <laughs> in my own kitchen. And so being pulled in so many directions at that time, I just, for the first time, felt like I couldn't manage it all and I just needed to, to let Chef go for the year.
0: Today's guest is a much-loved chef, restaurateur, presenter and author. She was born in Samoa and moved to New Zealand to train as a chef. In 1999, she was on the move again, this time venturing across the world to the UK in order to hone her skills under the watchful and especially demanding eye of chef Michel Roux Jr. at the twice Michelin starred restaurant Le Gavroche. She became a household name and face as one of the judges on MasterChef The Professionals, a position she held for 14 years before leaving the show to concentrate on family and work. However, she returned this year, taking her place once again alongside Marcus Waring, Greg Wallace, and occasionally maybe me. Uh, She's also on your screens telling you all about amazing hotels and life beyond the lobby alongside Rob Rinder. Her main focus is her business and her family. The restaurant Mare is a joint venture with her husband, David, who she met while working at Le Gavroche. They have a 17-year-old daughter and her latest book is called At Home, which feels like it tees up very nicely for what we're about to talk about. Monica Galetti, welcome.
1: Thank you. Wow. Is I there anything know. you don't know? I know. <laughs>
0: They're getting longer and more and more thorough.
1: Thank you for having me, yeah. Jimmy. Finally, i been looking forward to, to catching up with you.
0: I know, in a very sort of loose sense, we are kind of work colleagues occasionally, aren't yeah, we? And absolutely. Uh, bump into each other when we're filming MasterChef. And you've had such an interesting story and journey. And I'm so looking forward to speaking to you about it. I always kick off by flipping the question back on the guest. Okay. The show title, what that, what that means to them, what their initial thoughts are, what does it make you feel when you hear that that phrase? Yeah,
1: it does make one sort of nostalgic for family and, mm. and and memories and and friends and flavors and food and smells of, of where you grew up. So for me, I'd have to say that you know Samoa, mm. uh, where I was born, you know, is is where I would truly call home, you know, and then also a place that, um, Sometimes I just crave being there, yeah, you know, yeah. so I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to visiting next year.
0: When you know? do you feel that most, that kind of yearning and that kind of tug?
1: A smell or taste sort of takes you back to to your childhood. And, you know, remember, you, you almost hear echoes of it, laughter, you know, mm. of, of family moments. Also Christmas times um, always hit me hard. I have a lot of family in New Zealand, but I'm very sentimental about
0: Samoa. We're talking about place, so I think why don't we start there? What's your choice? What are you gonna go for?
1: Although I spent most of my life in New Zealand, it is Samoa and I think mm. it's those, you know, first memories of it. I hear a Samoa song and I tear up, you know, wow. um, from my aunts that, that raised me and just that sense of anger and, and and family that you have. And
0: it sounds like it was a really formative childhood it shaped you in so many ways you grew up on a like a plantation right in this kind of sprawling environment what give us a little picture or a flavour um, of what what that childhood was like I just remember running
1: around you know picking fruit when you wanted chasing chickens <laughs> getting smacked because I'd climb a cocoa tree and, and eat the, the cocoa buds that you make chocolate from yeah wow. um, I was naughty from the onset also in the evenings the, the evening prayers where all the family come together that sense of of support, family, and and unity, and and I think from that age of understanding fresh produce and enjoying those those flavors, and having to mature very quickly, you know, suddenly being taken away from that to to move to to New Zealand, you know, having to learn another language and, and adjust to a different life, it, it takes you through your childhood very quickly. I find
0: you've had to do that adjustment a couple of times right yes. like i think and probably you know there is a as i understand it there's quite a big Samoan community in new zealand that felt like a world away to you did it feel quite different in very terms alien. of like right you
1: No, know, no wow. I, I really like you know you've been taken out of your world mm. and put into something very foreign for for me that's how it felt like You know, having to wear long sleeves, things like like, that. So itchy around your neck. Having to learn English. You know, being teased in school because you couldn't speak English. You know, so your older brothers coming to the rescue, sort of (laughs) thing.
0: Yeah. These these older brothers figure quite a lot, don't they? Yeah. And they kind of. And you mentioned being naughty from an early age, and I know your toughness has been a real trait. Like you'll fight your corner, won't you? And I wonder. Yeah. To what extent does that feel like something that's been formed by your particular family?
1: You're raised to be strong in in the way that you're protective of your family. You're responsible from a young age for raising the younger ones, you know. So you do become very sort of strong, I yeah. guess, but it's a sort of bred in you in a great way where you also have, you know, support of, of the wider community and family. You know, it's like they literally, the saying is so true, it takes a village to raise mm. children. <laughs> you know, and we are. That is pretty much it. But because you're you're brought up in such a tight family unit, you become very protective, mm. and and you know, especially being a girl, mm. you, you're taught responsibility uh, at a young age. I remember um, my eldest brother was in the army, and uh, when he found out I was going to leave to move to the UK, uh, took it upon himself to teach me self defence. <laughs>
0: what were these lessons then they taught me through oh them. my
1: gosh it was if anyone comes at you you just grab anything you hear me you grab anything you know so heaven help me my daughter's 17 it's like anyone comes at you you grab anything yeah
0: just great to be able yeah. to pass on yeah. this wisdom and pass on these I lessons know. so what was it like when you first get to london and you arrive in kitchens and you get a job as uh was it commie chef uh, yeah yeah first time as, as um, a commie. <laughs> paint a picture of like you've already had one culture shock going yeah. from samoa to new zealand what was this culture shock like
1: i mean i've got to say i was so excited to to move to london i was 22 while i was traveling i sent my cv off um to loads of different places and uh, Michelle was the first to to reply, offering me a, a commie chef position. And I'm a planner. <laughs> so mm. I knew I was going to travel for a bit and I was going to end back in London. So I wanted to make sure I had a job to come to. And it was literally starting again. You forgot everything you did six years prior. Mm. And, you know, you were in um, first base again, <laughs> learning everything. But it was the best schooling that I could have had. Made some of the best friends that I'm still in touch with now. And, you know, Michelle was like an older brother to me. Much older brother, I gotta say. <laughs> Need
0: to get that in there. let
1: get that. No, um, you know, he's been a great teacher throughout as as the Roo family, as as anyone would um would know. So, you know, the those kitchens, that kitchen was just wow.
0: But let's get on to your phrase. What are you going to go for as your choice of phrase?
1: Um, it's, uh, it's one that translates really bad, but the phrase is kiki uh, and uh, my daughter says it in such a funny Samoan accent back to me because I used to say it to her when she was little. And <laughs> parents would say this to all their kids, which means uh, you're going to get it soon. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that so much. There was me thinking, oh, what a profound yeah. lesson this must be. And <laughs>
1: That's something I brought my daughter up because no one else could understand it. right? That's you know? brilliant. Though. Um, you know, and the parents, you know, those things like, you're going to get it when you get home. But mm. right? that's what they used to whisper to you in church or, you know, or you say it when you're out in public in New Zealand or something because no one else understands what your parents are saying to you. Um, yeah. And so my daughter teases me with it and my husband as well you know they're very limited Samoan but that's that's a (laughs) phrase that uh, still comes back to haunt me oh I
0: love that so much and yeah there are you know I'm thinking of all the Yoruba versions of that the Nigerian versions of that that I've definitely heard and they can become it can become a little bit of a joke can't it because I think there's, there's a there's a way of interacting and a humor, and there's a, there's a warmth, yeah, isn't there, there Even
1: is, though it is There is, that's it. And there's a, you know, the, the way it, that you sort of say it, it can mm. be you know, it's just the way that you, yeah. the, the tone that you use. And, you know, it could be humorous, like we say it to cousins and, and that we all say it to each <laughs> other as a joke, you know. So. And,
0: and yeah. I imagine for you is part of why you love it as a phrase the fact that your daughter's saying it that she's (laughs) do you know what I mean that she's carrying this part of her heritage and carrying it on and saying it to you because I imagine uh, have you agonized at all about not just the physical distance but her being uh, able to access her Samoan culture and feeling part of it
1: every day (laughs) yeah Mm. you know we don't have a Samoa network here. We did, but a majority of them move back to New Zealand or to, or to Samoa over the, the years. So it does pay me that, you know, she's not growing up within that network. There's been times when we've been to New Zealand when nace was much younger. And her just crying on planes saying, why we never have family back in London, you know, and it was so heartbreaking every time we left and, and you know, she'd just be absolutely distraught that we were leaving all our family behind. Um, you know, so it's all this, you know, the, the teasing between cousins um, that, you know, but in saying that we could go back tomorrow and she would just, you know, fit straight back into it. Um like I've raised an ace here um, being able to say the, the the Samoan prayer that we say before, you know, uh, eating and, and the song. And and her face just lights up when we go to New Zealand or we're with family, you know, and everyone's saying the prayer. And I can see my daughter like, you know, I know this
0: too, you know, so it that. is
1: sweet. Um, yeah.
0: And I, and I think maybe it's something that must be a particular consideration when you are a member of a community that, that there aren't that many of you and there isn't like that much kind of a Samoan network or you haven't got, yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of diasporas and communities that are quite fortunate that they yeah. can, you know, you can go to a restaurant or you can go to the market or you can go to the shop.
1: I, I miss it. I crave it. But then, you know, the UK is so far from, from mm. Samoa it's very expensive to to get here and to, to live here. So I tend to think that those of us that do make it here, you know, are the ones that have been able to, you know, support or they're coming here for a great opportunity. And I think that's why there's it's not that many of us. Every now and then I get a few Samoas come to the restaurant. That's Honestly, great. I'm like, I just hug them. I'm like, hi! <laughs>
0: i love that instant family instant family family, you know i love it you mentioned the restaurant and you're talking about your family and links to home and i I mentioned your decision to step away briefly from masterchef the professionals and you talked about some of the reasons for that and i wondered just how you kind of reflect on that decision and also what it was that made you feel right I'm definitely, I can come back now and I'm ready to come back.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, it wasn't uh, an easy decision and and one I didn't take lightly Mm. and I made it within two weeks of of filming starting. You know, I was that close to to the wire to Mm. to starting again. But my team were stretched at the restaurant. Mm. You know, uh, we weren't getting the bodies that they needed. Uh, My family was struggling. I was being pulled in, in every direction. And I also have a very sick nephew I think it just, with everything happening at the same time, um, it sort of knocked the wind out of me. Mm. And my family were doing a fundraising uh, a gala evening to support Otis's treatment. And for me to be able to go and support that meant that I would have been filming, uh, the beginning of filming, and I made the commitment to go and support my nephew, um, see family. Everything that I do, television, books, travels, I can do all of that as long as my family and my business set, you know, and everything mm. is, is is balanced. When that balance is off, that's what last year was about. I just yeah. could not manage it. And I couldn't see myself trying to commit to such a big project. You know, as you know, it takes three months to film MasterChef. Mm. Trying to give them that energy, uh, that excitement, knowing yeah. I wasn't feeling it. I, think, that, I yeah. think you
0: said in one interview that you've got no poker face. No, I don't. People <laughs> <would> have been <laughs> yeah, able to yeah. tell that you weren't necessarily... Yeah there in, exactly in, in spirit. and
1: it wouldn't have been fair to them uh, to my team you know how can I film something about my industry knowing that my team need that help mm. <laughs> in that in my own kitchen mm. you know I, and, and so being pulled in so many directions at that time I just for the first time felt like I couldn't manage it all and I just needed to, to let MasterChef go for the year and very fortunate that the producers David and, and BBC said look just take the year out and, and see how you feel at the end
0: Did you have any worries about,
1: will they let me back? When I said I needed a time out, you know, I I didn't think I'd go back, Mm, you know. But when they left the door open and said, look, take the year out, It it was a relief to actually think, oh, I could go back. The ball was in my court. It was up to me. And I think having that year out also taught me to appreciate it so much more, gone back to it so much more lighthearted, I feel. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I know we take it seriously, you know, um, what I have said, but I just felt like it's such a great place to be sort of enjoyed a bit more mm. instead of getting, you know, taking it too, too seriously and getting too upset about things.
0: What an amazing thing to come out the other side of it and just almost feel renewed appreciation for yeah. getting to do the job and... Bringing a bit of lightness, uh, while you're kind of also reducing contestants to a uh, shivering,
1: <laughs> nervous wrecks. I'm uh, a supporter right now, <laughs> <did> you. <know? laughs>
0: well, this is the thing. I always get people saying to me, "Oh, you're you're very kind. You're very you're you're the nice judge, or nice critic rather." And I'm like, "Oh, maybe I need to be a bit meaner," <laughs> but that feels authentic to me. And I wonder mm. for you. How has it been that idea of perception around you being perhaps painted as being especially stern or tough or mean or brutal? Like, you know, and and I think also for me, there's an extra layer of, you know, when you are like a minority, maybe you feel a pressure to to be a certain way, or you kind of you don't want to be too harsh, or you know, like I wonder for you, like, what is it like that that people have this perception of what you're like based on your on screen persona?
1: Well, you know, it was something that I had to get used to, Mm. you know, um, back then. I mean, over 15 years ago when I I started, I wasn't offered any media training. Mm. So I just acted like I did in a normal kitchen, was was being myself. So to suddenly have, you know, people comment on on how firm you can (laughs) be and how you articulate certain things <laughs> um, you know it sort of makes you sort of step back and look at yourself in, in a way that you've never had to because you're just doing you know your job as you know it I am firm even now I'm firm with my team mm. but my team will also say I'm very fair mm. um, my team will also say I treat them like my little family mm. you know um, the door is always open
0: I'm fascinated at how your kind of interaction as a kind of, as a boss, as a leader, as someone in a kitchen, how that's evolved as well, because I've seen you talk previously about how tough it was in that kitchen in like Le Gavroche uh, initially and having to fight your corner to return to that idea and stuff. And that you had to learn that there are, there are different ways to, to kind of instill confidence and get people to follow you and get people to kind of believe in you and stuff so what was that behavioral journey like and kitchens obviously you know professional kitchens the reputation is absolutely is is not great is it in terms of uh, working environment
1: i i think also you know in 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 kitchens if you're in a kitchen for a limited time you you possibly don't get to see the heart of a great institution or, or great chef that you're working with. You know, I was with the Rue family for 12 years on and off. You know, not only did I see the chef that expected perfection day in, day out, you get to see the human side of the chef. You you get to understand the reasoning behind that anger, you know, because then it becomes explained. It shouldn't just be explosive. You did this while you're so-and-so, because that does happen. But then over time and and with the mentoring that i I got from them was actually being taken aside and said, "I heard you go to you know whoever in the kitchen and 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 go on and on and on. did he understand what he did wrong? Well, yeah, you know, he messed it up no no, no, did he understand how he Messed it up, or how much that cost, and and why you, you know. So then you start sort of thinking about what you're saying mm. in that heated moment, and I mm. think it's that sort of mentoring that I have taken on board. Otherwise, it could have just been another angry chef, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. just just shouting for the hell of it, mm. and then then you go mm. home angry. Your your team are angry. Yeah. You come back angry. What a terrible life that would be, mm. and then for doing a job that you're meant to
0: love. You've spoken about already today about michelle being this important figure so let's hit on your person are you going to go someone from work are you going to go someone from your family who has been the person or who you're going to choose as the person that most solidifies and cements this idea of home and makes you feel uh home wherever that may be
1: i've been asked those questions about home and and, uh, and it's always been my mom mm. but i think more recently over the years i'd have to say my person is my daughter When I think of home, I think of her and and the lessons that I've learned on becoming a mother. And I think it's where I've learned patience, more empathy, and teaches you weakness. So my person is is definitely an ace.
0: I love that. Um, Are you quite similar?
1: People say we are, and then we both laugh it off. <laughs> Personally, I, you know, I, I, I take it as a compliment. <laughs> I,
0: I love that though, and I think, yeah, that idea of home being represented in in your daughter and the lessons that. She's taught you and still teaching you, yeah. right? Is she at all interested in cooking or cooking, following your path? you oh, kind of worked for the rules no. Have you got your as, own as Anais, dynasty yeah, cooking? No? no,
1: no, 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 no. Anais is um, a musician, uh, a very talented musician. And though we've taught her how to cook, she only cooks when she's hungry. <laughs> <laughs> she says, why do I need to cook when you and Dad do it so well? You know, it's like point. Yeah, yeah, okay. She's Um, smart. Yeah, she's smart, very
0: smart. So many chefs talk about this idea of finding their tribe and the kitchen being this kind of band of misfits in a lot of ways that are kind of all united by the same purpose. And yeah, I wonder, was that true for you? Did you just feel as soon as you were in a kitchen, did you recognise kindred spirits, as it were?
1: Absolutely. All fighting to belong Mm. somewhere, you know, but loving what they do. Um, you know, battle the fittest. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, sort of getting to that goal together. Yeah. But also arriving at their goal, you know, as a unit, as a team. And yeah. I think, you know, having siblings that I was responsible for grew up with, um, you know, at the same time you had the rivalry, but also you held on to each other, you know, for dear life to get through it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: To return to your choice of your daughter as your person that most, you know, really exemplifies this idea of home for you. Obviously... Becoming a parent can be something, particularly for like female chefs, can be something that, you know, can be a discouragement. I wonder what you make of that in mm. terms of whether it's it's a constant conversation, not just in relation to gender diversity, but in relation to all sorts of diversity. Because obviously it is a tough environment and it's unforgiving.
1: Yeah. It is hard when that's the road, you know, the, the choice that that it comes down to. I can't speak for other women in kitchens I know for myself it was hard Mm. also on where you wanting your career to be Mm. like in any woman in in any career but I I think you know in in the hospitality or in kitchens in particular where you're always on on your feet you know it's long hours Mm and you're expected to be there, to be yeah. to be present, and especially higher up you go. You know, for me, it was difficult because I knew where I wanted to take my my career and then always trying to plan, okay, if I have a child, no, I could do it between this <laughs> month <laughs> and, and I, you know, then I could be back, say I'll be back in six months. <laughs> <laughs> I've, you got, think, I've got you know, this window. Yeah, this window. Mm. And then I kept postponing it, thinking, okay, we can do another year, you know, um, uh, okay, I'm going to be sous chef. If, uh, you don't need to, have, you know. Still enjoying life at the moment, but then television came in as well. Um, I mean, we had an ace just at the before that, so you know that was a blessing. Uh, but I started a ace. I think it was one, one going on two when I started MasterChef. Wow. Um, you know, and then we always wanted a second, for example. But you know, I was working, you know. A uh, two Michelin restaurant, doing television, and then I started thinking, you know, okay, so if I'm filming <laughs> these three months, and we you know, okay, well, we could have the baby around there, and then be back in the kitchen, or you know, um, and just overthought it, mm. and I'd hate to think that we still do that to ourselves as women.
0: welcome back my guest today is the formidable monica galetti hello monica
1: hi jimmy thanks for having me
0: we've talked a lot about kitchens we've talked a lot about chef culture we've talked a lot about restaurants but let's talk about food what is your plate
1: for me it's always an orca. Honestly, even now, if I go home to New Zealand or my dad is there, this is what I'll have. I go to cousins. I love it so much. I've taught my husband how to make the perfect one. What is this so, explaining? So orca is, is like a Samoan version of ceviche, mm. but uh, we use coconut milk. Uh, through through the marinade, lots of citrus through it, uh, tomatoes, cucumbers and, and it's my favourite thing to have and so much so it, I even put it on the restaurant menu. I love that. I love um,
0: that.
1: No, What, what is me.
0: it about that dish in particular and I'm thinking of the picture you were painting of life on the plantation and yeah. the freshness of the ingredients.
1: It, it is honestly that you know Sundays were family days and the, you know, uncles, cousins to go fishing to bring the freshest fish back to make the orca with. You know, and I remember trying to sit there squeezing lemons, you know, from from the lemon trees, and actually being told off because I climbed this lemon tree. <laughs> it was kind of very hard to get that <laughs> I mean, I must have been about six or something. Being told off because I was up in this lemon tree <laughs> with the boys. Just the smell of the, the fresh citrus, and honestly, um, it, it's it's a dish that every Samoa family will always have, and especially a good great gatherings or church. Um, and you sort of judge people by the quality of the orca and then how thick the coconut cream is, you know, or is there too many vegetables to the amount of fish? <laughs> um, does it have enough sort of heat going through it or a bit chilly? But I only get that when I'm in a Samoan home. So that's the dish that I will have. Honestly, my family will tell you, if, I, if I'm coming there and they've got okra, that's the first thing I'll sit with. <laughs> and I'll just sit there eating bowls of it. <laughs>
0: I love that. I love that so much. And that's perfect because it's, you know, it's specific. It's got so many memories attached to it. And yeah, as you say, it feels, you know, uniquely Samoan and to like really, really bring home that feeling, which, you know, must be... Especially necessary when you are far away from home and you do feel that yearning, yeah, you feel that longing. Um, how often are you cooking this at home? or preparing this.
1: That's the thing, you know. Food tastes better when someone else makes it. Mm. I feel, you know, and then I'm. I think that's why my I've taught my husband to cook over the years, and he got so fed up that whenever I'm cooking at home, because I'm always tasting and smelling. By the time we sit down to eat dinner, I've lost my appetite. Yeah. Sort of yeah. thing. Whereas my husband never loses his appetite. He, you know, he eats till midnight. Um, <laughs> um he's a great cook. So Dovey's learned to make orca and he's so proud of it. So like when my brother was here, uh he made the orca for my brother. Oh wow, did um, it pass? Did yeah. It? yeah. Oh, and then um I had my dad over and uh he came to eat to the at the restaurant. And of course, I've got okra on, on the menu. Amazing. You know? And of course, Dad has to give his feedback. You know, it's like, uh, darling, it's very good, huh? <laughs> <That's> my dad. <laughs> Sorry, like, I can't do my dad without it doing a Samoan <laughs> 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 It was very good, ah, uh, leoka. Hmm. But uh, you know, think you need a little more tomato, some more cucumber. Mm. But it was good. <laughs> It was good.
0: Mm. Oh, I love yeah. that. You know, you're, you know, <laughs> people think of you as this, you know, unsparing critic, like really going in oh, on the details of the dish. wait till you get your salmon
1: family. Yeah. But
0: yeah, your dad, you've yeah, clearly yeah. learnt from the best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that it is on the menu at your restaurant is fantastic because that feels like a real piece of your home that is kind of available to other people that you're sharing as well. And it did make me think as well throughout this conversation that restaurants they they can be and you work in the business with your husband, so they can be this like extension of the home but also as we see with Le Gavroche, which is, you know, closing, like they are businesses and so they're not permanent. They're going to fade with like time. And I wonder for you, yeah, what that's like day to day. The restaurant is something that means a lot to people, but it's a place of work. It's something that you have to balance with your home life. How do you do with that struggle? of Jimmy, you, uh, you
1: see my hair is <laughs> permanently white in areas, yeah? It's, it's, honestly, <laughs> there's no bleach getting through some of these sides So thanks to this business.
0: yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always feel slightly bad asking restaurateurs like how it's going. But yeah, Yeah. I mean look.
1: You know, there's always something happening, Mm. you know, and when it's yours, the buck stops with you. So there's a like you say, it's an extension of of home. Love coming in and seeing them, you know, giving everyone a hug, you know, and and getting through a great service together is is the best natural high, Mm. you know, you, you can have. But also watching them grow. In my team, you know, someone who started as an apprentice with me, you know, and after three years, you know, has gone on to work in some mission in restaurants so that I get a sense of pride in in that, so that I've been a part of someone's journey. Business is hard. We've Mm. been through so much turmoil in in the last few years, never mind the pandemic, the new visa schemes we go through now to be able to employ. There's always been a shortage in hospitality. Mm with chefs and, and more so now that you know they need visas to come to 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 work here. Cost of living, always this this constant challenge. And and, and I think being as attractive a workplace to bigger places. Mm. And I think that's there's a huge issue for smaller restaurants like ours, is having to compete with, with bigger businesses who have bigger budgets and, and able to lure people to them. And I think as long as you can still enjoy what you do with your team, like I love creating with, with my team and, and spare and and that, you know, currently... For the last two months, <laughs> I've been on sourdough duty, <laughs> you know, but I love making bread. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been teaching, you know, one of my commies, you know, to, to to do that. And so now I can step back. I kind of still feel like it's mine. Yeah, you know? well, yeah. well look, I, I think
0: this is like completely to your credit and quite unusual that you are a recognisable chef, you know, TV personality, and you're in the kitchen making sourdough like every day. Like, well, sometimes
1: you, know. you don't have a choice, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> you course. Know, well, um, well,
0: let me ask you this. As you were talking there, I wondered to what extent is running a restaurant a vital part of who you are? If that was to not not happen or yeah, to fall away or if yeah. you were to let it go, would you feel that you weren't you? Is that kind of a, a part of your kind of home and, and your kind of essence, really?
1: Yeah, it is, you know, a huge part of who I am. And if I'm not in there, about, I don't feel... Feel complete mm. or even checked in, I still love being a part of it, although I need to step back more. Yeah. I know that, but it's very hard.
0: Mm. <laughs>
1: Sven and the team are great, and I'm building them to a point where. This is where Sven.
0: I'm is this your head? My head
1: chef. Your head chef. Yeah. So Sven won MasterChef about six ah. years ago.
0: Sven's full name? Just so Sven, Hansen Brit. Sven Hansen Britt. Sven yeah. Hansen Britt. Yes. Yeah. So,
1: you know, I'm, I'm needing them to be at a point where. I no longer have to drop everything Mm. and more so because I say my daughter is 17, but like I can literally see her slipping through my fingers right now, not slipping in a bad way, but she's going soon. Mm. And I want, to be there as much as i can yeah. especially now in the next year and 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 that mm. making those amazing memories with her
0: has that been one of the bigger challenges and Huge. unanticipated challenges of the massive. last few years
1: yeah mm. massive
0: i often will end these conversations by almost flipping it round the other way you've spoken a lot about Samoan culture. And I think you've, throughout your work, through your food and through your presence, you've done so much to educate people about Samoan food and broader culture. I wonder what kind of impact do you feel that that culture, that heritage has had on the UK, if at all, on the wider world? Where do you see kind of expressions of Samoan culture that really make you? proud or ways in which that it's kind of made a mark in, in the are world are you kidding
1: me have you just seen the rugby world cup <laughs> every was... country's got a Samoan or pacific islander in there honestly
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> that is very true yeah and yeah, then it yeah. all comes
1: down to the amount of coconut milk that goes in that orca. <laughs>
0: That's the secret. That's the secret. Well, it's true. You're absolutely right. And so, you know, whatever country wins, it's a win for Samoa and Pacific Island. Pacific
1: Island, I can't lose. I'd like to think, you know, people can relate to it. And I think they can. I've got a chef in in my kitchen, uh, Gigi from Peru, for example. And he comes out to me and he goes, chef. The Samoan food is so like you know the food I grew up oh, with, I love that. with our heritage and our food, Pacific Islands, or you know yourself, or our food was not made to be fancy or you know tweezered to death. It's it's food that's from the soul. It's delicious. It connects. So it's sort of bringing that in a way that other cultures can relate to it. You know, and I think that's a lesson I've had over the last six years and having my own restaurant, bringing my more Pacific Island flavors to a, we were sort of, you know, in a way that people understood it. You know, mm. I can't use taro leaves here because they're very hard to get. So I'll use um, caballoneo, for, for example, mm. with a whole lot of coconut cream. The Italians never saw that one coming, <laughs> but they're loving it, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think so people are sort of trying it and understanding it, and, and it's something different, and I yeah. think it's exciting. And seeing my, my team and, and my chefs at the moment really embracing it yeah. you know it, it's exciting I'm even sending Sven off to Samoa next year to stay with my dad for a few weeks to really learn the, the ins and outs of Samoan food so watch out I love that.
0: <laughs> Monica Galetti you have been amazing you have flown the flag you have shared some good self-defense advice <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a joy to have you and a joy to just learn a little bit more about your home and where you thank come you. from thank you what an absolute powerhouse but I think what I really loved about that conversation was you really get a sense of how warm and thoughtful honest open uh, Monica is and it was just so great to like really go in deep and just hear about her journey and I loved that idea of her daughter representing the idea of home and a person to her. She was really great. So much fun. Loved every minute of that. So that's all for this particular episode of Where's Home Really? with me, Jimmy Famarewa. I'm having a fantastic time recording this new series and I hope you've had a great time listening to them. If there are any episodes you've missed, please do go back and check out the archive across series one and this second series so far. There's fascinating stories from the likes of the highly entertaining Big Zoo and ITV News anchor Charlene White or Monica's fellow celebrity cook Nadia Hussain and boxer Amir Khan, among many others. And do join me next week for another star guest, this time an award-winning musician, for more stories on their own unique interpretations of what home really means to them. And don't forget to give Where's Home Really a follow on your favourite podcast platform and leave us a review if it's not too much trouble. Like the intriguingly named Dark Roll did, who said, Wholesomely nutritious for my soul, every episode gave my soul a hug. Thank you very much, Dark Roll. This podcast really is like a soul hug, and I'm going to absolutely nick that. Oh, and also check out our lovely new website, where's home really.com, where you can find our whole catalogue of conversations plus some additional interesting tidbits. From Podomo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really? Hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen is Kelly Redmond. Until next time.